Hi there, my name is Micaiah, and I serve uh, right over there typically. Um, and today I'll be reading out of Matthew 5, 1 through 12, which will be page 551 in the Bibles in the back of the pew. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. I'm going to use a handheld today, because it's too much trouble to switch between all sorts of different kinds of mics, so we'll stick with this one today. But thank you, Micaiah, for singing, or for reading. Um, sorry that the, the translation or version was off from the screen there. I don't know what happened there, but we'll, we'll figure out that kink. <laughs> Today's scripture um, marks actually the end of our look at the, the portion of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the greatest sermon that was ever preached, uh, the, the portion of that sermon called the Beatitudes or, or the Blessings, the Blessing Statements. The Beatitudes are a set of eight proclamations, uh, eight proclamations about what life as a kingdom citizen looks like. Uh, they tell, tell us how the poor in spirit and the mournful, the humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted are actually the blessed and fully satisfied ones. So if, if you think about it, if the world was making a list, the world was making a list of what blessed looks like, what might their list include? Would it look similar to the Beatitudes, you think? Or would it look very different? Well, Josh Miller, he's a writer, a blogger, and he, he took the challenge and decided that he was going to write the anti-Beatitudes. And here's what he came up with. He wrote, Blessed are the self-sufficient, for they will climb the ladder of success. Blessed are those with thick skin and no regrets, for they won't appear weak, needy, or dependent on anyone. Blessed are the bold, for they will conquer any challenge, no matter who or what is in their way. Blessed are those who live by their own personal truth, for they will never have to be corrected or change their mind. Blessed are those who judge and cancel others, for they will always feel morally and intellectually superior. Blessed are the carnal in heart, because they don't need God. Blessed are the fighters, for they will tear down anyone who disagrees with them. Blessed are those who are praised, celebrated, and honored by many, for they have reached the pinnacle of success. Blessed are you when people love you, envy you, and follow all of your social media accounts. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in this life. For in the same way, they celebrated all the other important people who came before you. 
Now, you know the, the world has a list like that, don't you? You see it in the way that people live. Maybe you've bought into or believed one or two of those anti-beatitudes at some point in life. If the beatitudes describe what life as a citizen of the kingdom looks like, then these anti-beatitudes do a good job of elucidating what life of someone who's caught up in the pattern of this world. How many of you guys know someone who maybe thinks more like the anti-beatitudes than the beatitudes? Anyone know anyone? Someone? Depending on when and where you grew up, some of those anti-beatitudes might even sound virtuous to you. Nothing wrong with them at all. And that's why Jesus' description of what it is to be in the kingdom life is so upside down. It's a foreign concept to our world. Why would you humble yourself? Why wouldn't you claw and scratch to get ahead in this world? Why wouldn't you fight to get that promotion or position, even if it costs that friendship with that other person or that relationship? Look out for number one. Go get you what you can while you're alive. Blessed are the self-sufficient. Jesus comes along and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mournful. Blessed are the humble. This final macarism that we're going to study today in verse 10. See, we're going to study verse 10, which is the final one of the eight Beatitudes. So we're coming to an end here. And then there's also verse 11 and 12, which are just expounding on that one, on verse 10. And they move from that general, blessed are those who do this, to that very personal, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Verse 10 and 11 and 12 goes like this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're gonna look at today's scripture under three headings. The first one is blessed persecution. Blessed persecution. Verse 10, the word that's used that we translate as persecuted, it has this kind of range of meaning to it. It can mean driven away, being driven away or put to flight or run out of town or run out of home. It could be by bullying. It could be by pressure or by violent opposition. And this, this beatitude right here, number eight, blessed are the persecuted. This one might be, just might be the most upside down of them all. Think about it. Blessed persecution. Happy are the harassed. Blessed are the battered. How can this pronouncement be? Well, 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, it's a letter that was written by the apostle Peter to who he calls exiles and strangers in this world. Those who are foreigners living in a land that is opposed to them, opposed to the gospel. And he's writing to them 
who experience suffering at the hand of the very world that they're trying to reach with the gospel of hope that is Jesus Christ. And what he writes in chapter one, verse three, may very well help us understand this blessed persecution that Jesus talks about. He begins himself with a macarism. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in time. And you rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Why? So that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by the fire, may result in praise, in glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does Peter tell us about suffering for Christ? He says that it proves the genuineness of our faith. Oh, blessed persecution, for you prove the genuineness of my faith that it refines our faith to make it more pure and that our sufferings and our trials can result in reward, praise, glory, and honor. Why blessed? Why is it blessed, persecution? Because persecution will wean you off of your enslavement to this world's way of thinking. Persecution will wean you off of the anti-beatitudes. Persecution will help you exchange the temporal for the eternal. Persecution will both draw you nearer to the Lord in trusting faith, and it will solidify your faith and your convictions as you face that opposition. You don't know how strong your faith is. You don't know how strong your convictions are until they are tested. And only then is the genuineness, can the genuineness of your faith be proven. We can say all sorts of things when we're not facing opposition. We can say all sorts of things about our faith in God when there's no pressure, when there's no suffering, when there's no pain. But persecution is blessed because it can push. It can bring pressure down, opposition and the genuineness of our faith can be proved and that can result in rejoicing and joy within us. But this persecution is not just for anything, right? Uh, we're told in Matthew that the blessed one is the one who's persecuted for what? Because of righteousness. He's persecuted because of righteousness. We already talked about righteousness back in verse six when we studied uh, that blessed uh, passage, but more or less, it's the idea that because of your status with God, that he has redeemed you and, and you are made right and whole in him, you are his now. More than just his subjects, you are kids of the king. You are in the family made Right, And because of this status change and because that also includes all of the other beatitudes that we've been talking about that's come before. Remember, those are marks, 
marks of the kingdom citizens, mark, marks of the kingdom kids, the other beatitudes, the status change as well as the other beatitudes, because of all of those, guess what's in store for the believer? Persecution. Persecution. And that persecution, and when you're in it, you are blessed. This is what Jesus says. Because of your status change, you will also serve God and you will stand with God and with his life and with his truth. This is what it means to be a child of God, that you stand with God in his life and in his truth. You will no longer stand with the world. So what does that mean? It means that when you stand with God for the sanctity of the unborn life, you will be standing against the world. It means when you stand with God's ideal of what human sexuality and sexual purity is to be, you will be standing against the world. It means when you stand with God against the oppressor and when you stand with the oppressed, as his word makes abundantly clear, you will be standing against the world and brother and sister, at times you'll be standing against Christians too. Christians who are worldly. Now suffering because you act stupid or because you do or say idiotic things is not in mind here. If you act stupid and say idiotic things, guess what you deserve? Persecution. <laughs> At least correction. At least correction. But let me ask you this. Is God ever rejected and hated by people today? If yes, raise your hand. If God is hated and rejected by people today, do you say yes? Then why do you pretend that they would love you or they should love you? Today they're rejecting God. Today they hate God. You're his kid. Why pretend that they should love you and embrace you? What is the promise of the persecuted? What is the promise of this final beatitude? It is that the persecuted who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And you'll notice that we're right back where we started because the poor in spirit were also those who are inherit the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And this brings us great assurance in our salvation I don't know if you know that, but persecution, testing your faith and the genuineness of it brings great assurance of salvation. It is blessed. And what you have right here by having the same response, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And that's the same as blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is called an inclusio. This is a way that they would write where they would book in both of them so that we know this is a section. This is, this is one section or one unit of sayings and thoughts. And so we've come to the end of the Beatitudes with this. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Whose? The persecuted. But the Beatitudes really actually kind of culminate in number eight. See, you live the kingdom life long enough. You live one through seven, and guess what's going to happen to you? Eight. You live as a poured spirit, 
humble, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who have a pure heart before God, number eight is coming. Number eight is coming. Point number two, blessed accusation. Blessed accusation. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You are blessed. Now we're, we're making that turn from blessed are the to you are blessed. At this point, Jesus turns and speaks directly to his disciples. And he says to each one of them individually, not as a group, you are blessed. When someone insults you, when someone persecutes you, when someone makes up stuff about you and falsely accuses you, you are blessed. Remember that. You are blessed, this blessed accusation. And we might deduce from this that experientially, you're not blessed if people are not insulting you, persecuting and falsely saying all kinds of evil against you because of Christ. If it is blessed to stand in that place, to be in that place, to have that status, then it would be less blessed to be outside of it, wouldn't it? And to the greater degree in which you experience that blessedness or you experience that persecution, that same degree you'll experience a greater blessedness. Again, a greater assurance. of I know this sounds like crazy talk. Insult me? It really literally means to knock my teeth in. Knock my teeth. Blessed are you when people try to destroy your reputation. Blessed are you when they deliver the final reputational blow to you. Left, right, left, left. Because of me. Why? Because you are so closely identified with Christ that you cannot escape the very same thing he would go on to experience. And that Jesus Christ today, even as we testified, still experiences the hostility of those who refuse to believe and hate God. You, you have raised the flag of the king and the kingdom so high in your life that people know who you are. I don't know if you know this, but there are no undercover agents in the kingdom of God. You know, no secret agent man out there. You know, I'm just trying to infiltrate this world. I'm gonna act like them. I'm gonna talk like them. I'm gonna behave like them. And one day I'm just gonna boom, pop on the scene. Or maybe they'll just never notice and I'm gonna get through this world without them knowing that I was a Christian and Jesus is gonna be happy with me. There's no undercover agents in the kingdom. You can't say I'm an undercover Christian. You are blessed when you are known as his to such a degree that they slander you. When they want to cancel you to such a degree that they want to assign false motives to you because of Christ. Blessed accusation. You and I cannot seek this out, believe me. We can't go around offending so that we get accused. But are there people in the Sacramento area who hate God? Are there neighbors of yours who hate Jesus? Some Christians will go out of their way to keep the things that people hate about God on like the down low in their life. 
Those things that, oh, he's, he's morally restrictive. He, he doesn't let me have fun. He doesn't let me do all the things that I want to do. And Christians will go, okay, well, I'm just gonna leave those out when I talk to this person. I'm just gonna leave this, this whole idea of, of what God is like and what he requires. As Nick talked about earlier in our confession time, looking to God and seeing his holiness. There's no, there's no greater way to know our sin and see our sin than to see his holiness. When we begin to compare that, well, as believers, if we try to hide it under a bushel, you can keep it out of sight, whatever those things are that the world doesn't like, I'm just gonna take note and keep them on the DL, keep them out of sight. There are Christians who will distance themselves from their king and their God so that folks will see them as kinder and more loving and tolerant than God is. I'll say that again. There are Christians who will distance themselves from their king and from their God so that other people will see themselves as kinder and more loving and tolerant than God is. Jesus says that my disciples will be so identified with me that they will be treated just like me. Blessed accusation. Which leads us to the third point. Blessed reward. The final verse of that section, verse 12 says, be glad, be glad. The other ones were descriptions and proclamations. Do you know that? Blessed is a proclamation. It's saying, wow, how awesome is the life of the poor in spirit because they inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And then he goes on to expand and he says, here's a couple more words you can add to your vocabulary to expand on what it means to be blessed. Here they are. Be glad, rejoice, be glad, rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Be glad, rejoice. You're in good company, my friends. You're in good company because whatever you are losing here on earth in persecution and suffering is being offset in heaven by something so much greater, so much greater, a reward. Whatever is to your loss is gain in heaven's economy. All we need to do, my friends, is just look to Jesus to see this. We look to Jesus as spelled out in Philippians where it says, Jesus who existed in the form of God but did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, instead what? He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just look to Christ. Just look to Christ who made himself nothing and was exalted to glory. Oftentimes when we encounter opposition in our faith, we will immediately think something like, what's wrong with me? Oh my goodness, people don't like me. What's, what's wrong? What, what am I doing wrong? 
Why don't they like me anymore? I'm, I'm just representing Christ. He's the most loving one ever. Why don't they like me? And Jesus himself knew that would be our experience. And so he left for us his word in John 15. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. They will. Jesus told his disciples this. And I don't know if you guys know, but this is exactly what happened. Church history tells us that Paul the apostle was beheaded. Peter the apostle was crucified upside down. Andrew was also crucified. Thomas was pierced by four spears while he was bringing the gospel to India. Philip was put to death. Matthias, he was burned to death while alive. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, was beaten with clubs over and over until he died. Simon, the zealot, was killed in Persia after he refused to sacrifice to the sun god. To many, that would sound like a tragic loss, like a failed mission, like what on earth is this Christianity thing? Everyone died. (laughs) Where is the triumph? Where is the ascension to the high place, to success? That's anti-beatitudes, people. It was first apprehended by these disciples by faith. They believed what Jesus said. We're blessed. And then upon their death, it was sight. They received their reward. You wanna go deeper into all kinds of stories. Look in Hebrews 11. Those who by faith followed God and endured all kinds of suffering. But there is one story in the New Testament of a man named Stephen. And we hear about him in the course of his service to the church in Jerusalem. He is appointed to provide service to widows in the church of Jerusalem. And we learn that he's a person who is full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And he convincingly is able to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. And they're wowed by it. And he's accompanied by miracles and signs. But there are some in the Jewish community there who oppose him. And one of the synagogues, the synagogue of the freedmen, they, they go to some ruffians, some, some people on the, you know, the street who will make trouble for them. And they go to them and they say, hey, could you make some false accusations against Stephen? Could you say things that are not true of him, that he blasphemed God, that he's against God so that we can get him arrested and shut up? Talking about Jesus. And they did that. They spread false rumors. And they had him arrested and he was brought before the Sanhedrin, accused of the crime of blasphemy against God. And when Stephen appeared before the ruling council to give his defense, instead what he did was basically preach a message that said to the council, you guys misunderstood scripture. You have hardened your heart toward God and you're resisting the Holy Spirit. You resisted it ultimately by killing Jesus who is the righteousness of God. 
And when they hear that, they begin to yell at the top of their lungs because they don't want to hear it. Ah! Stop him! They gnash their teeth, it says. Stop him from talking! No! Obviously, that didn't go over very well for Stephen. Having given his witness before them of what is true, his witness basically condemned him to death. They began to reach for stones. They dragged him outside of the city and began to stone him. There witnessing this was a young man named Saul. Saul would later go on to be what we, who we know as Paul, the apostle Paul who was killed for Christ. But there he is giving approval to this. And while they're stoning Stephen, it says that he looked out. He cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt out and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he was killed. Right before that, right before they begin to yell at the top of their lungs, um, Stephen says something that triggers them. This is what Stephen says right before. Says Stephen looked up to heaven and he said, Look, that's in the Bible, particularly in our English translations, look is typically behold. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man is standing at the right hand of God. And maybe you've heard this passage before, but have you ever wondered why is Jesus standing a lot of the other passages talking about the heavenly scene, Jesus has said it, his, his work is done, you know, down on the throne. He's doing that ruler thing. In this vision, he's standing. For a ruler to stand, it was a sign that Jesus received and accepted Stephen's testimony. It was a sign that he validated Stephen's message, that the son of God and of man honored the man Stephen for his faithful witness, even unto death. Jesus stood for Stephen because Stephen stood for him. Could there be any greater reward? All over the world today, my friends, Christian brothers and sisters are standing with God and with Christ Jesus in the face of opposition, in the face of slander and false accusation, and even in the face of imminent death. And they are holding their ground and standing because they believe that the measure of faithfulness, or the measure of faithfulness to, in the kingdom of God is obedience to God, no matter the cost no matter the cost. Can we go ahead and get the lights down? Since it is missions, uh, missions month, we're gonna go ahead and play a video here to kind of cap off the sermon. And we'll get the lights down and get ready to play that. But as I say, all over the world, our brothers and sisters are experiencing this. And this is one story. We heard the stories from the past. We heard the stories of the apostles and of Stephen. It continues, that tradition continues today of of faithful obedience to God. Let's go ahead and watch this really quick. God, I don't want to die. Who will take my place if I do?
Jesus told his followers to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, to every nation, to the ends of the earth. John Chow was a teenager when he took his first missions trip and when he felt called to invest his life to reach the people of North Sentinel Island, who had violently rejected all previous contact with outsiders. John answered that call. Here am I, send me. For the next nine years, every decision John made was with an eye toward going ashore on North Sentinel Island. He served in multiple countries to gain missions and ministry experience. He trained in linguistics to help learn their language. He was certified as an EMT in the hope of serving the tribesmen medically. Once I said yes to Jesus, I was committed. I was all in. I believe that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience. I want my life to reflect obedience to Christ and to live in obedience to Him. I think that Jesus is worth it. He's worth everything. In 2018, with the backing of his missions agency, John went to North Sentinel Island. He knew the risks, but his passion for the North Sentinelese and his desire to be obedient to Christ drove him forward. Sitting in the boat, getting ready to go ashore, John penned a final note and a challenge to his family. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9 to 10 states. I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Within hours of writing those words, John Chow was killed by the Islanders. John believed that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience, and he would be obedient to God's call, no matter the cost. Who will pay the price to go to every tribe? Was John Chow's life a failure? Was, was that a failure? I think not. He said it himself, I believe that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience. And he obeyed and he went and there's no story. This isn't a Jim Elliott story where later some people, maybe it's still being written. We don't know. All we know is he said yes, and then he died. But we know that in the economy of heaven, in the kingdom of God, obedience is 
what we are asked to do. And all over the world, people are obediently going. And we're, we're not measuring their success by how many people they reach or how many you know, codes they cracked in, the, in the, the communities they go to. But instead, did they go and answer the call? Did they respond even in the face of great opposition? The likelihood of death. When you are persecuted, your life, your life is counting for Christ and will one day be recognized by him. 